My name is Young, head pastor, lead pastor at uh, New Life, and it's my pleasure to welcome you uh, this morning as well. If you're joining us for the first time, uh, we've been going through a series called Make Things Right. And throughout our series, Make Things Right, uh, we're actually ending the series today, this morning. Uh, We've looked at the idea of home, the idea of home as it began in the Garden of Eden at creation. And today, um, so home was designed by God to be a place of peace, complete wholeness, shalom. And it was lost due to our sin. I figure that in this idea of home, there won't be that kind of feedback uh, that you hear within the mic. So from here, uh, we as humanity, we attempted to build our own home for ourselves in Jerusalem, with a temple becoming the meeting place between us and God. And once we walked with him, you know, in the garden, but after we were banished due to our sin, we tried to make the best of it from that point onwards. I think on some level, perhaps we understood that all of our independence seeking probably wasn't so good. That true peace, shalom, and this idea of home could only be found with God. But these things, the home that we built, the temple itself, they became objects of our idolatry. And we turned away from, um, still seeking out the things of this world, independence from our creator. And so Babylon was sent to destroy these objects of idolatry. So our home, our temple. And in exile, God's people cried out to him and were brought back into the land, but not under their own rule. They continued to wait on this Messiah to come and make things right, but on their own terms. And so last week we saw, or uh, perhaps the week before actually, when Jesus came, he was either met with incorrect expectations, wrong expectations of overthrowing this foreign government that was ruling over them. Otherwise, he was met with open hostility, sometimes apathy. And whatever the case, the people didn't truly recognize their king, their true king. They arrested him, they beat him, they mocked him, and then they hung him upon a cross to die. But even this was used by a great, wise, sovereign God as part of his plan to truly make things right. And on Easter, we were witnesses together to his resurrection. And we were participants together as well in proclaiming his death until he returns with the communion. And now, we live this resurrection in the grace that he renews in our hearts daily. So, where does that leave us today? Where does that leave us today as we think about this resurrection that he renews, this grace that he renews in our hearts? Now, when it comes to our relationship with God, this is something that we've been talking about for a few weeks now. We were made for a fulfilling, faithful covenant relationship with him and we seek to honor his name until the day that Jesus returns for this marriage supper with his bride the church as described here in Revelation and to this end we together we seek purity within the church we seek for beauty holiness in our lives and in the life of the church because the church is the bride of Christ now when it comes to There's a few different themes that we can look at 
Okay, so when it comes to our king and his kingdom, we recognize his true kingship over not just the world, but also over our individual lives, each and every single one of us. He's a king over our lives. We seek to live lives of loyalty, of love, of devotion to him, and to expand his kingdom here on earth as it is in heaven. And now, with regards to home, the very thing we began talking about in this series. Like you may know from other parts of the Bible that we are sojourners here on earth. We're temporary residents, and we're people who are inspired by this vision of the true future home that we have with God to work for him and bring good here on earth as well. So our passage today takes us there to the vision of our future home, and this vision gives us hope that we can live in today. So listen up for some really beautiful links to the original creation as we go through the passage. Why don't we pray together, and then uh, we'll get into the passage. Father, we thank you that you are constant, uh, even when we're not constant. And we thank you, Lord, that you're steadfast, uh, even when we might feel shaky. Uh, we thank you, Lord, that your love is for us, God. Even as we seek after, you know, as we have sought after many different things in our lives. We have disordered our loves in our hearts, Lord. We've loved the things that we should love little the most. And we've loved you, the one that should be above all, the least, so many times, God. Lord, would you reorder our hearts once again, that we might love you above all things. Help us, Lord, to cling on to you, to cling on to the hope that we have in the future home that we have with you. We thank you, Lord, that we, as we follow after you, find that you make a permanent home in our hearts for yourself. Thank you that we can be living stones, that we can be the temple ourselves, that we can house you. And Father, we turn to you now and we ask that you would help us to find our permanent home one day with you. We ask, Lord, that you would open up our eyes and open up our ears that we might be able to see and hear you clearly, that we might be able to have open hearts to receive what it is that you have for us, indeed to love you with our whole hearts. Help us, Lord, to turn away any sort of distraction, anything that turns us from you, and help us, Lord, to turn our faces towards you once again this morning. Be with us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Hey, hands up if you've ever moved house before in your life. Have you ever moved house before in your life? Yeah, a lot of you have moved house. If you were in charge of finding the new place to move into, you might have ended up trawling through hundreds of listings online. It's a lot easier these days, right? Everything's on your phone. Looking closely at photos and doing it all over again every single day until you find the place that you want to live in. Am I right? Like, why do we examine these places so closely? Like, do you do this as well? Um, if you look at the slides, like, you'll be able to see, this is an email that I received you know, when I was looking for a home a few years ago. Why do we examine these places so closely? Because you want to know that you're moving somewhere nicer than where you currently live. Like, no one's looking for a downgrade in life, right? No one's looking, okay, I better move into this you know, a terrible place. Like, 
If you've moved a lot in your life, though, you'll probably feel the same way that I feel about moving. You're really tired of it. You're so tired of moving. Like, this email is not a comfort to me when they tell me, you're obsessed with property. I think, my gosh, I am. This is horrible. i got to get away from this. And even if by chance you somehow find that you move into this place that's your ideal vision of home here on earth, you might find eventually you're not really satisfied. You might find that you need to remodel the home. You might find that something is just not quite right. It's just gnawing away at you. Now this morning together, we get to examine our future home. All of us together. This is pretty exciting, okay? And the real estate listing looks a little bit too good to be true. This is a home that will satisfy, not only ticking all the boxes that we have in our lives, but even making promises that we didn't think were possible. So look with me at at the verses here, uh, verses 16 to 21. The city is laid out in a square. Its length and width are the same. He measured the city with the rod at 12,000 stadia. Its length, width, and height are equal. Then he measured its wall. 144 cubits according to human measurement, which the angel used. The building material of its wall was jasper, and the city was pure gold, clear as glass. The foundations of the city wall were adorned with every kind of jewel. The first foundation is jasper, the second sapphire, the third chalcedony, the fourth emerald, the fifth sardonyx, the sixth carnelian, the seventh chrysolite, the eighth beryl, the ninth topaz, the tenth chrysophrase, the eleventh jacinth, the twelfth amethyst. The twelve gates are twelve pearls. Each individual gate was made of a single pearl. The main street of the city was pure gold, transparent as glass. In this vision that's revealed to John, you know, the writer of Revelation, this new Jerusalem, our future home, is being detailed to us. And we might look at this and and we might say, like, what's going on here? What are these things? The city that gets described to us measures at 12,000 stadia on each side. I'm pretty sure we don't measure things by stadia anymore. Uh, Stadia are Greek measures of distance, where one stade is approximately 185 meters. Okay, some of your Bibles might have a table of measurements in the back. That's actually what it's for. It's not just there to fill up pages. It's so that you can kind of tell in you know, contemporary society what exactly is being talked about. So if it's around 185 meters, one side of the city is about 2,220 kilometers. Now, me personally, I'm not really great with spatial awareness. I bump into things a lot. You know, I, I'm not very good with measurements in general. So if you say something like, 2,000-something kilometers. It's hard for me to imagine. So this is about 200 kilometers more than the distance from where we sit right now and one of our missions locations, Sejuna. So imagine, this might still not be clear to you if you've never been to Sejuna, okay? So imagine driving at 100 kilometers an hour. It would take you almost 23 hours nonstop to traverse this distance, okay? So this is how far it would take you. It's this length all the way around. As a city is laid out in a square. Try to imagine a city this size. It takes you 23 hours driving 100 k's an hour, no traffic, no lights, to get from one side, one corner to another corner. 
Now, when you look at real estate listings online, you might tend to look at the size of your home, okay, your future home. My mom does this all the time. If I show her a listing, she's like, well, what's the square meter? I'm like, I don't know. Okay, I don't really think about that stuff, right? According to Domain, though, the average size of a newly built house in Australia in 19, uh, sorry, 19, 2019 to 2020 is about 235 square meters. Probably feels pretty comfortable. But our future home in the New Jerusalem is going to be a little bit bigger. So if you were to spend all day just walking all around, let's say, Eastwood, okay, just nearby, the suburb of Eastwood, up and down every single street, trying to cover every corner, it might take you a little while. And Eastwood is around... 5.2 square kilometers. If you tried to do the same with the city of Sydney itself, I might not see you at Friday night prayer this week because the area is more than 12,000 square kilometers, kilometers. Now let's stretch our minds a little bit bigger. Our future home, according to these measurements, is 4.9 million square kilometers. Like, can you imagine a city like this? Nearly five million square Ks. And not only this, but this city is also a perfect cube. It's 12,000 stadia high as well. So most of you have flown on an airplane before. You've traveled somewhere before, whether it's interstate or overseas. And if you've done this before, you've been somewhere within what's called the troposphere. So it's only a few kilometers above the Earth's surface, right? Now, the International Space Station is in orbit at a little less than 400 Ks above the Earth. So the New Jerusalem is going to be stretching a little bit higher than that. It will stretch 2,220 kilometers up in the exosphere. It's about five times higher than where the space station is. If you're having trouble kind of picturing this in your minds, please join me. I've been doing this for a week, and I've been like, ooh. Okay, it's a glorious place to even think about. The sheer size of it just dwarfs any sort of city in existence here on earth. The size of our new home is incredible for us to behold, but even greater is that there's going to be room for everyone there. And if you zoom in on the city from here, okay, we're going from outside the city in now, you see that the streets are pure gold. The gates are made of pearl. There's precious jewels all over the place just adorning the foundations of the city wall. And these material things, you know, you're not going to be tempted to just chip away and just sell them, right? Like these things are there representing this incredible value of what God has done for his people in a spiritual sense. None of the physical things that have been sought after in our lifetimes are worth as much as his work in our lives themselves. And the glory of God that rests upon the city itself. Look with me at the first verse of chapter 21. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away. And the sea was no more. So not only is the city itself big and beautiful. But there are a number of things that will no longer be in the city. Number one, we see that there will be no more sea. Now, symbolically, the sea was seen as dangerous, a place of constant change, of chaos, 
This is a place back in this time where people couldn't really cross over very safely. And so it was seen as a great evil. Symbolically, something to cross, but never to live on. Look with me at a few more verses here. Um, Follow along on screen. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. Death will be no more. Grief, crying, and pain will be no more because the previous things have passed away. And there will no longer be any curse. The throne of God and of the Lamb will be in the city, and his servants will worship him. And night will be no more. These are the seven things that won't be there anymore. The sea is one of seven evils that John says will be no more, along with death, grief, crying, pain, the curse, and night. And God himself will be there, consoling us, his people. He promises that he'll wipe away every tear, and weeping will be no more. This is the depth to which our Father loves us. So in eternity, his care for us is infinite. He wipes away every single tear until there's simply no more tears. (laughs) Can you even imagine that? I'm a bit of a crybaby. I cry a lot. You know, I cry when I watch movies. I cry when my wife says something, just some random thing that shouldn't make me cry. I don't know why. I know there are other people like me out there. Maybe not you. And there will be no more of these. At great cost to himself, he has made it so that death will not triumph over us. It won't have the final say. So as the first heaven and the earth pass away, there's this great reversal of this curse that we saw all the way back in Genesis 3, at the beginning of our Bibles, where man was originally banished from his first home in the garden. And with this new home, life changes completely because of the conquering lamb, Jesus Christ. The people... As you saw a few weeks ago, they wanted a rebel to come and overthrow this earthly government so that they can rule themselves in their city. But God sent his son, who lived and died in obedience instead. He was no rebel. He overthrew instead the rule of sin and death, that we can be ruled rightly by God and live with him in our permanent future home. Now, when you look at homes... And you think about moving. I'm sure you've done this before. Perhaps your parents have. You consider the cost of what it costs to actually move, right? How much does it cost to move? How much is the home itself? And the good news of grace is that God has paid the cost on our behalf. Because there is no way that we could ever afford it. And we can't even afford homes in Sydney. How are we going to afford the New Jerusalem, right? But what happens when you move? Does it end with finding the place? that you want to move into? Does it end with paying for it? Does it end with signing the contract? No. You guys know this very well if you've been with us for, you know, more than a few months. Late last year, Bora and I came to New Life. We moved from Melbourne to Sydney, and there was a lot of stuff. There was a lot of doing stuff from a distance due to COVID restrictions on travel. And so I trusted my parents to go and look at houses and tell us, this place looks good. And I would be like, okay, we're trusting you. 
Otherwise, we're staying with you. And I trusted Sezun to help me organize interstate movers in hopes that borders would just be open at some point and we'd be able to come. And we set a date with these movers and they said, yeah, well, we think borders will come down. They seem really sure of it, but, you know, I mean, they had my deposit. They probably didn't care. But what would happen if I'd simply stopped trusting at some point? Everything was paid for. Everything was signed. What would happen if I suddenly decided, you know what, I don't think this move's going to happen. What if I didn't believe that borders would open, and so the movers come in the morning, they're knocking, and I just don't open the door? If I showed no evidence of believing that the move was really going to happen, then perhaps I wouldn't have ended up moving in the end. You see what I'm saying here? We live as future-minded people here on earth with our hearts tugged in every single direction by things in the present that seem good to us. Like the Israelites who felt maybe Babylon's right. Maybe we could just live a more comfortable life by living like the people of Babylon or like Adam and Eve and not holding back their hand from the fruit that was off limits to them. And we live presently in a new Babylon with popular culture, societal thinking, dictating and influencing all that we do and all that we think and all that we, th- the, all that we desire. We have to be able to recognize these things as false seductions towards something that's objectively worthless in comparison to the new Jerusalem to come. See, this pushing against the culture of today, this spiritual battle that we engage in daily is evidence that our hearts, minds, and eyes are set upon a greater future hope. It's evidence that we trust that that move is going to happen as we move into our permanent home in the new Jerusalem. Look with me at verses 6 to 8. Then he said to me, it is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. I will freely give to the thirsty from the spring of the water of life. The one who conquers will inherit these things, and I will be his God, and he will be my son. But the cowards, faithless, detestable, murderers, sexually immoral, sorcerers, idolaters, and all liars... Their share will be in the lake that burns with fire and sulfur, which is the second death. It's evidence that we know that we're in need. See, throughout the Bible, we've seen that only those people that are aware that they're in need of a Savior are able to turn and be saved. The gift of the water of life, it tells us here, is freely given to those who seek it to those who persevere in the faith. And there are warnings that are on the other side for those that refuse him, those that are cowards and choose themselves before Christ, fearing the things of this world rather than their God. Those that are faithless, detestable, murderers, sexually immoral, sorcerers, idolaters, liars, all those who would unrepentantly live in these sins rather than confessing their need to God and turning to him in repentance. These are those that choose Babylon and ultimately renounce their entrance into the new Jerusalem. Now, for those of us who follow Christ, 
we have the opposite fate as we cast judgment upon our sins and refuse them. We live lives of repentance in order to honor God's name right here, right now, here on earth. I'm sure you know if you've moved before, looking forward to our current home or our future home doesn't mean letting our current home fall to pieces here today. I mean, we do this here on earth as well, right? Like we want our bond back if we're renting. We want to be able to sell the place if we're moving, right? We want to make sure that we don't live in a dump, you know, for the time that we have left in our current home. And our God makes things new here and now as well. Revelation 21.5 reads this. Then the one seated on the throne said, look, I'm making everything new. Isn't that beautiful? I'm making everything new. The Lord says he's making all things new. And the primary thing that he is communicating here is that renewal, the final renewal of all things at the end that ushers in the new Jerusalem. And yet there's this very intentional use of the present tense. I am making all things new. God continually makes things new here and now as we've seen all throughout the Bible, as we see in our own hearts for those that believe in him. You yourselves are the greatest evidence of this newness, that you were made new, that you were made clean, that you were made whole in Jesus. But just like you couldn't save yourself, our efforts alone can't make things new here on earth. We see the efforts of man in the progress that we've made around this earth. But check out some of the news and see that despite whatever scientific progress that we've made as a society, the little gadgets that we have in our hands, we still have the problem of our hearts that manifests itself in all sorts of evil ways. Still the same old issues. Our Father knows. He reassures us by his word. No, I am in command. He is in command and he's making everything new just as he wills. And in this, we as well can take inspiration from him and join him in what he's doing here on earth. So the renewal of people's hearts in turning to Christ and living for his kingdom, we take part in this as well. And by this, we take part in setting new living stones and creating good for the earth itself. We're the church. Those that will make up the new Jerusalem. And we work towards these things because we take part in the marriage of Christ and the church. Look with me at verse 2. I also saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared like a bride adorned for her husband. So this holy city of the new Jerusalem is beautifully adorned, coming down out of heaven for her husband, the Lamb of God. If you've been to a wedding before, or if you've been close to the bride, perhaps you've been the bride yourself, what happens before the wedding day? The bride-to-be works really hard to prepare, to beautify herself, 
to look her best on the day of the wedding. And so it is with those of us who make up the bride of Christ as well. We work towards purity, holiness, as we look forward to that day. When the revelation came upon John, he saw the new Jerusalem, new, meaning different from this present world, set apart and holy, and yet it's still recognizably Jerusalem. Isn't that beautiful as well? The location where our redemption was won by Jesus Christ, who died on the cross outside city gates, he died outside so that we could be let in. He died with the wrath of the Father upon him so that we could live in his nearness. And we're concluding our series, Make Things Right, with this message. And as we end, we see a lot of things undone, reversed. Where there was once a need for a temple, there's no longer a need as God lives among his people here in the New Jerusalem. And all of its citizens are priests. Where we were once a people living in darkness, there's no need for even light anymore as God's glory illuminates all darkness and there's no more night. Where once we were a people who could not see his face without perishing, we're now able to see his face and even bear his name. Revelation 22 reads this, Then he showed me the river of the water of life, clear as crystal, flowing from the throne of God, and of the lamb down the middle of the city's main street. The tree of life was on each side of the river, bearing 12 kinds of fruit, producing its fruit every month. The leaves of the tree are for healing the nations, and there will no longer be any curse. The throne of the God, the throne of God and of the lamb will be in the city, and his servants will worship him. And the story of the Bible closes in Revelation with us returning to this tree of life. Man was once banished in disgrace from the garden, unable to take from the tree of life. But now we're told we will return and we'll be able to legitimately enjoy from the fruit of the tree. Why don't you pray with me as we think about this new home? Father, we turn to you this morning as we close up our series and make things right. It's a little conceptual at times, Lord, to try to think about the new Jerusalem and this future home that we have with you. How can we imagine it when those seven evils still exist here on earth? When we still face grief, when we still face a lack of peace here on earth, when we see our loved ones dying. Lord, help us not to be deterred by these things, but to continue to run this race, to have hope in you, to have true hope that fills our hearts, that creates wholeness and peace and gives us shalom once again that we might look to our future home in the new Jerusalem with you. Help us, Lord, to look forward to the glory of your presence alongside us, walking with us, 
to see your face. That's what we desire. May we not be distracted by the things of this world, but may we truly have belief, faith that you will do what you say that you will do. Lord, we ask that you keep your word and that you make all things new here on earth, here in our hearts as it is in heaven. We struggle daily with temptation. We keep ourselves from what is good and we plunge ourselves into what is not good. But would you touch our hearts once again? Renew grace in our hearts that we might be able to see you and to seek you. Help us, Lord, to live in the light of your grace. We love you, Lord, and we thank you. In Jesus' name, amen.